This is One on One's NFL Friday, bringing your weekly Jets, Giants, and NFL talk from WFUV Sports. With the top guests, weekly fantasy advice, and opinionated analysis, this is One on One's NFL Friday. Happy Wild Card Weekend, everybody. What better way to spend it and kick it off with NFL Friday from one-on-one WFUV studios here in the Bronx. Kenny Ducey and Julian Adienza filling in for Mike Watts today, our normal producer. So uh, yeah. let's switch of roles here for you, bud. But it's uh, kind of strange on this side of the glass. It is. It, you're on the other side of the glass, which, which is what we always say. It's uh, puns <laughs> everywhere today. But I want to lead it off here. We're talking... Uh, about football and really a guy who has defined football over the past uh, 15 some odd years, Ray Lewis. Uh, He's been in the league since 1996 and of course uh, he announces that this will be his final year and his final game in Baltimore. He's coming up this weekend against the Bengals so that's going to be an emotional moment for him but you're talking about a 13-time Pro Bowler, a 7-time AP, first team All-Pro, a Super Bowl champion. A Super Bowl MVP in that Super Bowl. Really, uh, all across the board, an incredibly accomplished linebacker, one of the best to play the game. And look, he had his troubles off the field. Um, And I'll be the first to tell you that you you can't forget about that. And it is not fair to judge a man by one mistake and, you know, quite possibly the worst mistake of his life. But it, it is important that. You know, we we do remember that he that that is something that happened, and he he did grow from it and and become, or or you know, excuse me, get past it and become the linebacker that he is today and the person and leader that he is today. I mean, really off the field. Um, after that incident, he's just really been one. Of, he has been the heart and soul of not only the Ravens organization but Baltimore. Uh, he's done so many great things off the field for um sick for sick kids for uh, those in you know who have health problems, you know, for uh, the disenfranchised. He's been really, he's a motivational speaker, so he's really done a great job off the field, you know, since that incident. And, uh, I mean, I think you can't you can't think of the Baltimore Ravens without thinking of Ray, Ray Lewis. No, absolutely not. And he is he's going to be one of the, maybe, as Ozzie Newsom uh, today was, was on the radio, and the Ravens GM, and he said that maybe, Ray Lewis was will be one of the best of all time at any position, and uh, you know with the leadership he showed, and he really made that defense what it is. He was the coach on the field for yeah. that defense. I read an article um, on Thursday on Yahoo Sports <laughs> where, when Rex Ryan was the defensive coordinator of the Baltimore Ravens, Ray Lewis would go over to Rex Ryan's house, and they break down film together for for four hours on Saturday night before the game, and he would tell Rex Ryan what plays he was thinking of running. And the defense literally ran through uh, Ray Lewis. He told Rex Ryan what plays to put in. And that's why he was able to, I mean, one of, one, one of the defining things about Ray Lewis is that he's not the most physically gifted linebacker. He's undersized for his position. And yet every Sunday it seems like he's everywhere on the field. It seems like he's so fast. When in fact he's not really that fast of a linebacker it's just that he hustles gives 110 percent every play and he reads the opposing offenses so well for you know from being in 
you know, in those all those defensive meetings and, you know, really in the mind of the defensive coordinator. And, uh, and of course, the undersized uh, element to him, that's why he was picked 26th in the 1996 NFL draft. I was looking over that draft, actually, and I want to get your take because Ray Lewis, you know, again, one of the best to play the game. But if I'm a GM in that draft, and even if I look at the players five, even ten years down the road from that draft, maybe not nowadays, seeing how everyone's career played out, but... I mean, I, I said I would take Keyshawn Johnson still. I would take Eddie George, and I would take Marvin Harrison over Ray Lewis. But that's it. I mean, again, it, and he went 26 overall. There were other linebackers who went ahead of him, which, you know, if you look back now, is remarkable. But I, I don't know. I mean, that that was just my opinion. I look at Harrison and, and Johnson, two of the most talented receivers I've ever seen in my lifetime. And then you look at Jonathan Ogden, who was uh, just, a, and again, the Ravens picked Jonathan Ogden, so a great 96 draft for them. And one of the best offensive linemen that I've ever seen. Yeah, no, uh, no question. That was a very good uh, draft class. But, uh, I mean, I, I completely agree with you. You know, you take those offensive receivers, you know, Johnson and Harrison, over a guy like Lewis, you know, not having, you know, the knowledge that we have now. But, uh, you know, the and we're going to get into it later in the show, you know, how to, you know, draft and, you know, build your team. It's 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 really a crapshoot when it comes to the draft, as we've found out, you know, Vernon Golson, you know. So you never know who well, pans you, out. You're, yeah. I mean, I'm a Jets fan, too, but for you, I mean, of course, that's who you're going to think of. But yeah. uh, there are plenty bigger busts than him. You yeah, know, Ryan Leaf, you know. Tim and, Couch. Yeah, and especially on the and on the defensive side of the ball, you know, it, it's tough to know who's going to pan out because there's so many – there's talent at every skill level. I mean, at every level of college football. And, you know, you know small programs, big programs, and you – Sometimes you just can't project who's going to be, you know, who's going to rise up to the challenge that is the NFL. Absolutely. It is hard to predict. And, you know, this team, a lot of people weren't predicting that they would miss the playoffs. And it is the New York Giants. And to talk about them, let's go to Eric Malo, our Giants beat reporter. One year, it's a Super Bowl. The following, the epitome of mediocrity. Seems a bit odd to call this Giants team mediocre, but their stark inconsistency spells nothing more than that. They were blown out in back-to-back weeks, only to dominate a lifeless Philadelphia team in the final game of the season by the score of 42-7. Eli Manning threw for five scores, but I wasn't sure if he'd be able to throw a touchdown pass in a Pop Warner game a month ago. The last three weeks were a microcosm of the Giants' season, one that was marred by inconsistency, confusion, and letdown. Head coach Tom Coughlin understood that his team missed valuable opportunities as he reflected back on 2012. You look at your season, and sometimes when you walk off the field having lost a game, your thoughts are, boy, I hope this one doesn't come back to haunt me or bite us in the butt in the long run. Uh, But in reality, that's what happened. Looking ahead to 2013, it's clear the Giants have to address their inconsistency and improve their roster. Two areas to address right off the bat are the defensive line and the secondary. OCU Manura will most likely walk, and the Giants have to decide whether they want to pay or cut veterans Corey Webster and Captain Justin Tuck. Another question that arises is whether they will re-sign safety Kenny Phillips, who in my opinion is the team's best safety and second best defensive player. The prospects for 2013 aren't poor. They still have a young core of offensive players, 
and some emerging playmakers in David Wilson and Ruben Randall. Defensively, Jason Pierre-Paul still wreaks havoc, and J. Ron Hosley and Prince Amukamara showed promise at the corner spots. One thing we know is that they'll play hard for Tom Coughlin. Your bet is as good as mine on what will happen in the 2013 season for the New York Giants. Covering the Giants, I'm Eric Malo, WFUV Sports. Thank you, Eric, for that report. Uh, always good to hear from him, and you know, we'll probably be hearing from him again the NFL draft, which is uh, something that the Giants are going to have to take a hard look at. And you know, they'll get a, a decent pick. Uh, They're nineteenth. Nineteenth. They. I was going to guess twentieth or nineteenth, something like that. Uh, but he mentioned David Wilson. You know, emerging Prince of Mukamara. I'm still not the biggest fan and sold on him, but you know, it, again. You look at the other team who plays in that stadium, and Kyle Wilson. I would say that Amukamara has panned out a little better than Wilson has uh, for first round corner. As first round corners go, I mentioned David Wilson though, uh, and GM Jerry Reese said that Wilson can be quote a lead dog next season. Uh, and of course, he was in Tom Coughlin's doghouse for fumbling early on in the season and in the preseason. And it's a, he's a talented, talented running back. He's fast. I don't know if I see him being a lead dog next year. I really don't. And, and it's because he's simply a speed back. And speed backs in the end, I mean, unless you can really, really make something special happen with your feet, you're going to be a complimentary back in this league. And he didn't show me this year, and maybe he will show me next year. But this year he hasn't shown me that he can be a number one back in the NFL. I, I mean, I, I can't see one, you know, I can't look at the Saints game and just say, oh, that one good game is proof to me. And it wasn't even like a fantastic game. It was 100 yards rushing, and he did pretty well on special teams. That, that was it. I, I completely agree with you, Kenny. One thing that you mentioned that I think David Wilson does give you on a consistent basis is that special teams role, those kick return yards. Um, in the Super Bowl year last year, they had a horrible starting field position, and their kick return game was just awful. And Wilson just brings you to that next level where you're starting off at the 30-yard line instead of the 20, and that makes so much more of a difference. But I completely agree with you. He's a speed back. Yes, I think he has you know the potential to develop, but to make him your lead dog next year in a rushing game that you know needs improvement from this year, I, I don't I don't see that as being the smartest move. And I'm sure Jerry Reese will you know have complimentary backs. I think more and more in the NFL, it's not just one back. I mean, you have Adrian Peterson, and he's the exception, but you know, usually you need two, if not three backs, you know, like they had in that 07 team, Earth, Wind, and Fire, you know, to have a very strong running game. Well, hey, how about how about Andre Brown? He averaged more yards per carry than David Wilson this year and got hurt, 73 carries. I got a ring, Andre Brown. Remember yeah, that? <laughs> yeah, 385 yards. I mean, maybe he's a guy who you can look to as your third uh, option there or even second option if you want to throw David Wilson in as a third change of pace option. I'm not really sure what this team wants to do next year. You know, from a running back standpoint, quarterback-wise, you know, you, you heard Malo mention uh, Eli's struggles. He didn't know if Eli could even throw a touchdown pass, and that's because the Giants' offense looked abysmal, uh, you know, b- before this this blowout win of the Eagles. And I was reading a tweet, uh, you know, when this was all happening. You, you can't get outscored and only put up 14 points in two weeks 
and then expect to get help from the Lions. You know, expect to get yeah. It's just and the, the Giants. Gi- the Giants an didn't expect situation. to get help. Coughlin didn't expect to get help. You know, they were just at that point they were hoping for help. Right, you know? but but that that is not you know the point was yeah. that is not the formula you want to exactly. follow. You're right into yeah. the playoffs, and it was it looked doubtful and. Uh, again, this is what I said all season long on this show: is that the Giants didn't win games in the middle of the season. If they lost games, you know, like Pittsburgh, like Cincinnati, those were big losses because New Orleans, Atlanta, Baltimore, Philly, those were the four dangerous games at the end of the year, and and even Washington proved to be dangerous too before that. And Green Bay, although they took care of the Packers, so again, I guess next year you can't ignore. This schedule, if if maybe the Giants did not ignore it, but maybe the fans of the Giants, if the media ignored it, uh, you know, because a lot of people, okay, the Giants, they're going to win three or four and make it in the playoffs and win the Super Bowl again. And, and that's not going to happen every year because your schedule is going to be different every year. Exactly. Next year, they'll have an easier schedule. So, And one of the one of the teams on that schedule is who, Julian? The Broncos. Oh, there we go. Okay. Big brother Peyton. <laughs> It's going to be a Manning Bowl next year. That's going to be fun. That's going to be one one great thing to look forward to uh in 2014 uh or but I mean I, I mean I don't know when it's going to be played 2013 or 2014. We'll see. Uh you look at the Giants, I guess their their defense next. We were talking about their offense. Yeah. So Jason Pierre, Paul Hill, he'll probably be back. OCU Minora, that's a question mark and then a guy you really like, Stevie Brown. Yeah, Stevie Brown He's he had a you know a breakout season, eight interceptions, and not only can he pick the ball up, he can change your field position. It's one thing to you know have a possession kind of uh, secondary guy where they just intercept the ball and fall to the ground, but you have Stevie Brown who's not only catches the ball, he's just he's bringing it back, and we saw that in the Eagles game. Yeah, and and uh, again that that secondary needs a lot of help, and you know if you're the Giants, you got a lot of questions. You yeah, know, but here's the thing, Kenny. They they had they had pretty much the same team as they had last season. They went nine and seven last season, and they won the. They're plagued they by injuries though this year. They're plagued by injuries though this season, but essentially the same core group of guys. And this season they also went nine and seven. The key difference is that they didn't play clutch and they didn't win the big games. So you have a core group of guys: JPP, Justin Tuck on defense, and then you know a Kenny Phillips, a Stevie Brown on the back end. And then on offense, you have, you know, Eli, you know, receivers, Knicks, and Cruz. So you have that core group of guys, and it's those role players that played so well last season that kind of had so-so years. I mean, if you look at the linebacking court on the Giants' defense, Chase Blackburn, who was let go last season and uh, came back for the playoff run, he was your best linebacker this season. Michael Bowley didn't have a great season. Keith Rivers was always injured. So that... That group needs a lot of help. And in the secondary, you have guys like uh, Corey Webster, who's played so well throughout his career. He kind of stunk it up the last couple of games. Corey Webster did not look good. And it's such a – it's kind of – it's sad that it's such a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately league where you have a guy like Webster who's been so good for his entire career, and now he's – you know. He's had he's a bad five games coming down the stretch. Do you get ri- and then now people are asking, you know, do you get rid of Corey Webster? Do you bring in another cornerback? It, it's kind of sad to see, but that's the way the business goes. Well, that's a that's a very valid question though, because you know again this the secondary it was has been awful for uh, for a couple of years, and the Giants proved that you can win a Super Bowl 
with a good defensive line and a good offensive unit. And I my questions going forward for this Giants team, and I mentioned it right before you talked about the defense, is you know, who are you going to bring in, if anyone, in the second? Are you going to bring in a corner? Are you going to draft a corner? I, you know, draft another corner, because I did just draft Hosley out of, out of VATEC. You know, you're going to go for a safety. You know, how about in how about going on offense, getting another wide receiver? I mean, I don't know what they are going to do, but it looks like they have a lot of talent there. Akeem Nix, you know, should they have brought him back that early? You know, was it a mistake to be playing him when he was still banged up? And then look at what happened at the end of the year. He didn't look very good. He was clearly affecting the way Eli Manning played. And then you have Ruben Randall and Ramsey's Barden who play well. I, and, and then Victor Cruz has, for the past couple of years, been pretty solid. So I don't know really you know, where this where the fault falls, I guess, on the Hakeem Nix front. Yeah, I, I think the whole Hakeem Nix injury just underscores how much they needed him on offense. The fact that they felt that they had to play Hakeem Nix while he was banged up. And you look at his the Giants' offensive production without Hakeem Nix. Cruz has looked good at times, but he's not. He hasn't. He didn't put up the numbers that he put up last year um, with Hakeem Nix, a healthy Hakeem Nix starting, you know, across the field from him. So, I think, I, I think, you know, if you're looking long term, you you should have rested Nix. But I think that by virtue of the fact that they played Nix while he was injured, that kind of means. They really needed him to stretch the field. So if that's the case, then you got to look for to get another receiver who can do that same kind of a similar role, not to the extent that Knicks can, but well, you know another receiver who can stretch well, the field. Well, it didn't make any sense to me though because Randall and Barden did fantastic in, in Knicks, Knicks' absence and in injury, and even as a third receiver, you know when Hickson was hurt, they they had Barden and Ram, Randall, and they were doing well. So why not give those guys an extended look? I mean, I again, you mentioned it. It clearly, they were afraid of the wide receiving core without Hakeem Nix, and that's why they rushed him back. There's something along those lines, and it really was puzzling to me because they had good good production. I'm sure our, our engineer, Nick Legerfo, who's been watching the Giants for years, would agree with me You know that Randall and Barden were very viable options at that point in time, and for some reason... Uh, they, you know, they they were taken out of the offense a little bit. Yeah, I didn't when understand Nick's that either. Nick's came back, even though Nick's wasn't a hundred percent. I think Nick's needs to be healthy next year. If we see a healthy Nick's next year for the whole year, I don't think this these problems persist with the offense and, and with Eli Manning because Eli did not look good at times. Uh, yeah, just throwing the football when Nick's was banged up. Yeah, just you know to wrap up on that point, um, I think you have to kind of take call into question some of the ways that uh, Kevin Gilbride called the games down the stretch, you know, given that Knicks was injured. And I think, you know, wide receiver is something they got to address in the offseason, linebacker, and secondary. So those are my three go-to, uh, you know, skill positions that they have to address in the offseason. All right, well, there it is. Certainly a long offseason ahead of the New York Giants and a longer one because they will not be appearing in the playoffs uh, not going to be able to defend that Super Bowl title. Another team not appearing in the playoffs. This is the second year in a row and not even close to a Super Bowl title uh, to defend. It's who? It is those New York Jets. And I was warned before uh, before this report that there was going to be a, a zinger 
in here. Let, let's see if you can catch it. It's Joe Vidiello, our Jets beat reporter, uh, with this report. I'd like to say the Jets had a roller coaster type season, but let's be honest. When the highlight of your year is hoping that your 4-7 and team can somehow crank out five straight wins to maybe have a shot at the playoffs, you had a bad year. Oh, and who could forget the highlight of Fireman Ed leaving or the agonizing injuries to Darrell Rivas or Santonio Holmes? But in a season low-lighted by many Sanchez miscues, one glaring question looms. What took Rex Ryan so long to make the change at quarterback? Well, new information has emerged that might help us answer it. During his vacation in the Bahamas, Rex was photographed by the Daily News with an interesting tattoo on his arm. His wife, wearing nothing but a Sanchez jersey. Could it be that the reason Rex was so afraid of making the change was that he was afraid of getting his tattoo removed? You would think that he would at least get a jersey if someone he knows is going to be in camp next year. Like Darrell Rivas, barring a holdout, of course. Seriously, though, what took Rex so long to make the change? And why didn't he ever give Tebow a chance? Well, if you ask Rex, he'll probably go on a rant about how Sanchez gave him the best chance to win, and then change it to how McElroy gave him the best chance to win. But if you ask me, Rex didn't give Tebow a chance because he didn't want to make himself potentially look like a fool. If he inserted Tebow late in the season, and he actually did well, Rex would have had to face thousands of Monday morning quarterbacks, excuse the pun, asking why Tebow wasn't inserted earlier. We have learned that Rex will get another shot at it next year. Sanchez likely will too. I can't see any other team willing to take him. As for Tebow, well, he'll probably be leaving on a jet plane, heading to Jacksonville. Covering the... I'm Joe Vidiello, WFUV Sports. And thanks to Joe for that report. Man, I, you know what? I I don't dis- I don't agree with the the Tebow thing. Uh, now the the tattoo thing. It's true. That that that's why that that has to you explain really why so. he's no. But yeah, <laughs> I mean that, that was that was and that's been the story of the day really in New York is is that tattoo. Uh, you know, not the Knicks who who just beat the Spurs, not the Giants who did very you know uh, more fav- more favorably excuse me than the Jets. This season, you know, not any of that, not the bowl games. It's this tattoo on Rex Ryan's arm uh, of of his wife with a, a Sanchez jersey and and nothing else and, and nothing else. And I don't know uh, really what to make of this. I don't really want to spend too much time talking about it. But look, uh, as Colin Coward on ESPN said, look, you know, you can do whatever you want, but if you're gonna get a tattoo like that, we're all gonna judge you. You know, yes. I'm not going to say sit here and tell you know say that Rex Ryan shouldn't have gotten a tattoo, a tattoo, that tattoo, but if he's going to display it in public, if he's going to have it, then I'm going to judge him and I'm going to you know, I'm going to look at his tattoo and say what is what is that supposed to tell me that you what you have a, your wife wearing a Sanchez jersey? Does that mean you like Sanchez? Does that maybe it means nothing, maybe it just means that he loves his wife and they both support the Jets and he had to pick a random player and he goes, you know, Mark Sanchez is probably going to be with this team. He just signed an extension. Let me get a 6 on there. I, I don't know. And no, and I think you can't really read too much into this, but uh that it just it just kind of underscores how bad not how bad, but how much of a defensive coach that Rex Ryan is, that he just doesn't seem to really have a great grasp of the offense. The fact that, you know, you kind of said, okay, Sanchez is my guy, he's loyal, but 
I mean, to I don't know if he's really good at evaluating the talent on the offensive side of the board because uh, clearly he thought Sanchez was going to be, and Sanchez may well be, you know, around here for the long haul, but just evaluating the talent of Sanchez, I don't know. Well, and that's a, certainly a question, and the Jets now looking after a new GM after they fire Mike Tannenbaum and uh, after 15 years, nonetheless, and hopefully that you know that's where they get their talent evaluations from. But maybe there's a question: is you know should Rex Ryan be making any talent evaluations? Look at what's happened with you know Vernon Golston in the past, and uh, you know you look at some of the other players. John Connor certainly not a good pick, but I, you know again I look at the defense and I look at um, Mo-, Mo Wilkerson and Quentin Copels. And those were two good draft picks, in my opinion. Those Copels two guys, has been really good this they, year. People were even talking about a Pro Bowl for Copels late in the year, which was you know a little far fetched. But I mean, that should show you that the guy had a good season. And you look at you know you look at Mo Wilkerson; he certainly came on the scene late. So those are two young pass rushers that are really going to help out the Jets. And you know what? They tried and tried to get a pass a, a draft a young pass rusher, and finally mm-hmm. they, it worked out for him, in my opinion. Two of them have worked out, and now you got. Poa to anchor that in the middle. You have Kendrick Ellis, who's just a freak of nature. How big Ellis he is. had a breakout season this year, and he is huge. Uh, so that defensive line probably no more help needed. And now the Jets they have the ninth pick in the draft, and you know they'll probably end up getting Jarvis Jones, someone like that, an mm-hmm. outside linebacker. But you know you look at what Joe said about Tebow. I just want to address this real quick. Okay, before we talk about whether or not you know Ryan should have been fired why Tony Sperano hasn't been fired yet, yeah. which is ridiculous. You know, Tim Tebow, I think it says something that he, he you know, it took this long and he didn't overtake Sanchez for the job. If this guy, and, and this is maybe my crazy opinion, but I think if this guy played well enough in practice and really showed the coaching staff that he could lead this team and win games... If he looked good, maybe they would think about putting him at quarterback. I mean, what does it say that they they go to their third-string quarterback who's been inactive for two years, and then they say, this guy's going to start, not you? I mean, is it really a matter of... There are a few things. It could be that the coaching staff never wanted Tebow, and they don't want any more of him. You know, it could be that they really think McElroy's a good quarterback, and Tebow really is just a runner. You know, or... Maybe Tebow didn't look that good. I remember the first story that came out about Tim Tebow was, you know, he's not a good practice quarterback. That was the first story written about Tebow, uh, you know, evaluating him as a Jet was he's not a good practice quarterback. So maybe, you know, and I'm I'm sorry, but if you're fighting for a job in the NFL, people aren't going to look back at your record and look back at you know these games you won against mediocre opponents, and yes, he was good, and yes, he beat the Steelers with the game-winning touchdown pass, and clearly there's something special about Tim Tebow, but that's not going to help you get a job if you're stinking up the joint in practice. I mean, you, that's, that's just my opinion. I think that's what's happening here. I think that's what happened all season is the kid just didn't look good. No, I completely agree with you. Um, and, you know, f- fair warning to the audience that, both Kenny and I are kind of Mark Sanchez guys, whatever that, well, wherever I, that leaves us that now. That ship has sailed That ship me. has sailed, yeah. But um, you're exactly right. I, I really don't – I can't disagree with you. It's just they Tebow didn't look good in practice. And if Rex – because he, he has such an earnest demeanor. He has such a – he plays with such heart and intensity. He's 
you want to root for the guy. And, you know, I think Rex likes his personality. So I think if Tebow had played well in practice, he would have gotten his shot. And Well, I mean, there was also the story about that, you know, there are so many stories about the Jets, but now there there was a story a couple days after where Ryan wanted to put him in, Sperano said no, and what does that say about Ryan? I mean, again, and this is... This is the type of stuff that's been talked about with the New York Jets, all this speculation. And, and you know, again, am I, ha- you know, you said I was kind of a Sanchez guy, and I th- don't think that stands anymore because, uh, you know, all, and I wasn't even really a 100% Sanchez guy, but I just thought that... He gave he, you the best chance to win, right? He t- gave you the best chance to win, and I think he personally took too much of the blame for the team's... Yeah, uh, I agree. And again, the, the team's failures... I still think I still think that he can be at least an average quarterback in New York with talent around him because he did it for the first two years of his career. But I don't think I don't I'm not very confident he'll get that chance next year uh, or should get that chance. No, and just to finish up the Tim Tebow point, if you look at the way John Fox ran that offense in Denver, it was a Tim Tebow offense. It literally all the plays were designed around Tim Tebow, the quarterback option the college option, whatever right, you want to call it. And, and look, we had the Wildcat package here in, the, in New York, but it's not the same where, you know, you, you, ha, you, ha, you do have your own package, but it's not like the formations. I mean, it's not like you have a, a whole offensive system designed around you. And I think clearly John Fox in Denver felt that's what it took for it. Well, it Tim is what Tebow. it takes. It is what he, it, he needs yeah. his own offense. He needs his own and, offense, and, and the Jets weren't ready. Sperano didn't want to commit to that. And it, and it would have taken a while too. I mean, it, it would have taken the bye week to shift over to Tebow. I, I want to move on here because uh, that's enough about Tim Tebow, and we're probably not going to talk about him ever again as it pertains to the New York Jets. Um, actually, I I shouldn't really. You never really know. You never know. with the Jets, but I am really appalled. With the way that this this uh, this coaching uh, mix-up or lack of a mix-up has been addressed as it pertains to the Jets, because Woody Johnson said that Rex Ryan was going to be back next year as the head coach. They fired Tannenbaum, so now they look for the GM Sperano. For some reason, still not fired, even though that all indications point to him out as the as the offensive coordinator of the Jets he storms out after the game doesn't talk to reporters there was uh, none uh, of them talk to reporters uh, i follow a writer on twitter he said he has this is his final game he's going to be fired after the game still nothing official which is ridiculous i don't know why you make the determination that rex ryan is back next year without bringing in a new gm or at least picking out who you're going to pick, you know, hire as your new GM because maybe that GM doesn't want Rex Ryan. I think it's foolish to constrict yourself right there and say, no, this is our head coach. If you want to come in here, you have to work with him. I don't even know if it's enough to say you have one year with Rex Ryan. If it doesn't work, you pick whoever you want because that GM might just say, yeah, I'm going to move on. I'm going to take this job. I don't want to work for you guys. And the Jets have done a tremendous job, or I guess the firm, the Jets have uh, of hired has done a tremendous job of bringing in candidates to be the new GM of the team. I really am impressed with a lot of the the people I'm seeing, and you know they got the Giants scouting head, I believe, uh, a lot of talent there. But again, I still think Rex Ryan has earned himself one more year in New York, uh, just because it was pretty. It's pretty remarkable he won six games with a Division three roster, and that's just my opinion. But, again, I'm looking forward 
and but they it's were, not Woody Johnson lot, to make that determination. You're right. saying, and what you know now, North Turner, you know, because of Rex Ryan doesn't want to come to New York, so that's a talent that you're missing out on, missing out on Andy Reid possibly. I mean, there's a lot of good coaches out there uh, that you're not going to get a good chance at interviewing uh, because Ryan's still your coach. But I I still believe that Ryan, while he's not a good offensive guy or special teams guy, he's a good defensive guy. And I mean, I completely agree with you in terms of this. Tony Sperano point where in, in terms of passing yards, the Jets are ranked 30th in the league. That's bottom barrel. I mean, it kind of just goes to show you how much quarterback play means in this league. You look at, you know, over in Indianapolis, a lot of the same players from a team that kind of was, you know, the worst team in the league last year. They got Andrew Luck, and he's – him and Coach Chuck Pagano, who we'll talk about later, you know, one of the best stories, you know, this year, completely turned their season around. You know, completely turned that organization around. So, and and I I agree that you know it's not for um, Woody Johnson to determine that Rex Ryan will be the coach for next year. Although you know, some say he might have earned it. He gets a pass for the two AFC Championship games they've gone to. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I agree. I, I don't think that you can kind of, you know, fire, not fire, not fire a, you know, Rex Ryan. Let me put it this way. It's not the owner's decision to hire or fire a coach. It should be the general manager. And if you got rid of Tannenbaum, you know, you had to bring in a guy and make let him make that evaluation for himself. I, I I kind of agree there, and again, you know, who will be the new Jets GM? We'll track that, and we'll have it for you on NFL Friday. We'll have all the breakdown. You want to say something? Yeah, no, I just real quick, you know, to put a pin in Mike Tannenbaum. I thought really his moves this season weren't that bad in term. He's made. I, mean, I think cri- it's more his lack of moves. Lack of two critical. Uh, he didn't address the skill position, and of course the Tim Tebow move. But in terms of the defensive end, they brought in Leron Landry, who's going to Pro Bowl this year and Jeremiah Bell, who have been very good this season and really addressed that need in terms of covering the middle of the field that you saw last season. So I think Tannenbaum really just kind of got axed for making two glaring mistakes. Well, yeah, and the offensive line and you know the Wayne Hunter, they were prepared to go into the season with him. There's so much uh, to talk about. But again, the players, they give him a standing O, a very respected guy. He'll be missed by the Jets, but it was time for him to go because... They had no one to throw to as at wide receiver. All right, we're going to move on here, talk about some more firings around the league. Uh, you know, a lot of big ones here. The Cardinals, they fire Ken Wisenhunt as well as their general manager, Rod Graves. You got Lovey Smith out in Chicago, Romeo Cornell out in KC, replaced as of today by Andy Reid. That's a big one. We'll talk about that in a sec. The Bills, they're gone. Or, or, excuse Chan me, Gailey. Chan Gailey is gone from the Bill. Bills, and as in, as I said, Andy Reid, he's out in Philly. Uh, Pat Shermer out in Cleveland, as well as their GM, Randy Lerner. Uh, and then, you know, the Jaguars, they're also looking for a new GM. Gene Smith has gone. Now, excuse me, Tom Heckert Jr., that's the, the GM of the Browns, not Randy Lerner. So uh, a lot of firings. And, you know, Norv Turner, I don't know if it was official, but uh, he is is been, sources have said he has gone. So now you look at the college coach, you look at Chip Kelly, 
I don't know if you saw the game last night. He looked fantastic. He's going to interview with the Bills. Um, he is out there as a possible candidate. Bill O'Brien said that he uh, will not go to the uh, to the NFL after interviewing with the Browns. And uh, Nick tells me also the Eagles and uh, who the the Browns, I believe, are and the, yeah, the Eagles and the Browns as well as the Bills. Chip Kelly will go and visit. But the biggest story today. Andy Reid, he's taken over in KC. I like this move because I, for a while, I've thought that KC has just been searching for the right head coach. You look at Jamal Charles, in my opinion, one of the most talented backs in the league. You have Matt Castle. I'm not the biggest. You have seven fan. Pro Bowl players on that roster, right? I mean, there's there's some talent there. Brandon Flowers, great cornerback. Uh, you have Barry back there at safety. Tamba Ali. Tamba Ali. I mean, there's a lot of promise. Glenn Dorsey plays for that team. Everybody forgets. Too and, and I mean his NFL career has been iffy, but he's still talented. There are a lot of good players on that team, and I think that it might just take the right head coach. I mean we've seen head coaches this year take you know not ta- teams that aren't that talented like Pete Carroll and take them far. So I think Andy Reid, you know maybe the right head coach was just needed in KC, and I think they got him. And I think it's just a kind of change of scenery that it'll be good for Andy Reid, and it'll be good. For the Chiefs, I mean, it, I think in Philadelphia it was getting very toxic for Andy Reid. The culture, the paper bags that the guys were wearing to the stadium. I mean, with all his, with all the stuff he's had to deal with off the field, and so much has happened to him in Philadelphia. I think that a coaching change was necessary in Philadelphia, and I think that doesn't mean that Reid isn't or or isn't a good coach. And I think he'll be a great fit for Kansas City. I, I think so, too. And another curious one, uh, Lovey Smith, gone in Chicago. They win 10 games, 10-6. Uh, and six. He's 84-66 and 66 overall in Chicago. How do you make the, how do you, what do you make of this one? I, I mean, think they've been looking. Lovey Smith, though, I mean, he took Jay Cutler and Brandon Marshall, and he made 10 games out of it, or made 10 wins out of it, rather, and you know, those are two guys that are certainly personalities. They're certainly guys who have been elsewhere and, you know, not been that great in the NFL, but certainly two talented guys. He takes them. He takes a great one of the probably one of the best defenses I've ever seen. Uh, that Bears defense this year, and he gets fired. I mean, I think the Bears were have been looking for an excuse to fire Lovey Smith. He's been on the hot seat numerous times despite having good records good defenses. Um, I, I think it's just that the Bears, like the Eagles, were kind of not satisfied with getting good results, but not the res- results they wanted, which was playoffs and title games. So I think it's it's a just it's a bad situation where you have a coach who's really doing the right thing and putting his guys in the players to succeed and you know, a ten and six season a game here or there, a play here or there, and the Bears are in, I think it's just it's really tough to fire a coach over that kind of a season. But if you've had those very close calls, as the Bears have had for the last couple of years, I think that's what ultimately motivated Chicago to kind of go in a new direction. And uh, their, their GM said it was offensive inconsistency that was the reason he was fired. That Thanks to Nicola Jerfo our uh, engineer let me know that and, and offensive inconsistency i mean they were eighth uh, they were for, their defense was eighth in passing and rushing 
They were 29th in passing yards, 10th in rushing with Matt Forte there, and I I couldn't think of a better coaching scenario uh, out there that's open in the NFL than this one. Now, yeah, you know, Jay Cutler can he, he's he's got an attitude sometimes, but look, I mean, the guy has has played well enough to show you that you can win ten games. You have Matt Forte, one of the best running backs in the league. This defense, great. I mean, if you're Chip Kelly, why don't you want to come here? If you're John Gruden, and he, you know, there there's <laughs> been murmurs of him coming out of retirement. Why wouldn't you want to come here? I mean, I think Marshall's an, another guy who's overlooked as still a top ten quality receiver in the league, and I think it's uh, the pressure of a big market. I guess can scare certain coaches away. The need to deliver. They've you see a guy like Lovey Smith who's been consistently a good coach, get fired, get let go this season, and then, you know, it brings questions into your mind. Well, I don't know if I want to play with kind of a gun to my head, you know, win or, you know, win or bust. So I I, I don't know if that's – it's certainly a good job. Um, but, you know, there may have be coaches with reservations about having that sort of restriction on – the timetable that they have to get the Chicago Bears where they want to go. And uh, and one more thing I want to bring up here. The Dallas Cowboys, Jason Garrity said, I will not relinquish my offensive play-calling duties. Now that you say that, now you completely lose any chance, in my opinion, of getting Norv Turner. You could have, you could have had Norv Turner in there calling plays, and he's a guy who's you know, been instrumental in making so many quarterbacks who they are. And you got Tony Romo, he's certainly got the skills. He is statistically elite, although, you know, late in games, he does tend to break down a little bit. I don't know why you would do that or where that comes from, but that was not a good move on Jason's, Jason Garrett's part. And now if you're Jerry Jones, he hasn't really done anything about it. But, I mean, I'm telling Jason Garrett, why are you saying that? Uh, you better watch yourself. You better be lucky that you're even the head coach. You know, you're you're lucky that we didn't fire you and replace you with Norv Turner. Uh, so now that the the offensive coordinator has said that he doesn't want Norv Turner, he wants to be the play caller. Why would you even come there if you're any sort of candidate for that job? And I mean, you're. I think you look at the the way a coach has to be on a team in terms of, you know, I want to run my offense. I don't want somebody to call the plays. I want to be in control of everything. And it's, you know, Jason Garrett clearly wants to have that control. And I think all that does is just put him on the block for next year. So Jerry Jones is like, all right, you don't want me to bring in a guy to call plays for you. You might, if Jason Garrett and the Cowboys don't have success next year, he might be gone after this year. But having said that, Jerry, uh, Jerry Jones, um, Jason Garrett was on the who was on the hot season for most of the hot seat for most of the season. He really got it together with and got the Cowboys on a winning stretch, which took him off it. And I think that buys him some credibility with ownership. All right, so that that's our wrap up there of the Black Monday. Certainly a lot going on. It was an incredible couple of days to witness, and still no signs of what's happening with the Jets. Still no no statements from Woody Johnson, still no press conferences. So that is certainly something we'll be keeping an eye on and still more hirings to come. And the the Jets won't talk to uh, the media until uh, 
Tuesday, which is uh, more than a week after their season ends, which is which violates uh, NFL regulations. So they might be fine for that. They could be, and uh, again, that's another story we're watching. But the biggest stories. This is Wild Card Weekend, Julian. It starts tomorrow. So, uh, what, what time is it? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? I just hope we can win a game. Jim Moore, we will talk about the playoffs. <laughs> Jim Mora trying to bring us down here. All right, it is Wild Card Weekend. We're going to go four minutes a game and give you our predictions. First stop is in Washington. It is Seattle. The Seattle Seahawks and the Washington Redskins join. This is two Rookie of the Year candidates going up against one another. It's Russell Wilson and it's RG3. And the knock about the Seahawks, they're 8-0 at home. They're 3-5 and on the road. Can they get this done? Do you want my short answer? Uh, <laughs> I think they can. I think the Seahawks pull this out. Um... I know the Redskins have a good defense and they have the strong running game with RG3, but I I think there's just something a little magical about um, what the Seahawks are doing now. Not to take away from the magic of Washington or that sort of thing, but I think the Seahawks have you know an identity on offense and an identity on defense. Again, not to say that the, that the Redskins don't, but I I just think that. Um, the Redskins' defense will really be able to limit RG3 and what he can do. Um, those corners uh, of the Seahawks really get after the receivers, so you'll see Pierre Garçon limited, and you'll limit guys like Santana Moss. And I think guys like Chris Clemens will really get after RG3 and really contain him in the pocket. So where does that leave you? That leaves you with the running game. And the running game has been good with Alfred Morris and RG3, but the Seahawks are very good against the run, and I, and I, and I think – that's the key. The team that stops the run, Marshawn Lynch on the other side, is going to win this matchup, and I think that's the Seattle Seahawks defense. Well, and you look at this this matchup, and I really would say that, I mean, the Redskins really have no edge here, maybe other than Mike Shanahan's experience over Pete Carroll. And that the fact that they're at home is the edge, right, and that Seattle right, right. is a kind of a, a, quote, bad road team. Right, but... but Edge, in terms of a personnel, I mean, look at the quarterback matchup. And RG3, I see, is more talented, but he's not 100%. Russell Wilson, meanwhile, is 100%. He's been orchestrating this offense very well. You might have to give the edge to him. Marshawn Lynch, as good as Alfred Morris has been, got to say Lynch has done a better job this year. Receiving core, Golden Tate for for uh, Seattle, countless others. I, I, I'd take, you know, just if you look at number ones, I'd take Tate over Garcon. Uh, you know, and then look at the defense. You looked at you talked about the good Seattle defense. You got Richard Sherman at corner, one of the best corners this year uh, that we've seen. And then Leon Washington running back kicks on special teams. I think overall the the Seahawks clearly uh, have the better personnel in the matchups. But again, it's yes, they looked good down the stretch on the road, but will they be able to win on the road? A pl- big playoff game against these Redskins, who uh, they they don't play well, uh, or they, excuse me, they don't play poorly at home either. They play pretty well at home. They have a good uh, a good atmosphere there in Washington, and that's why I think it's going to be a close game, uh, low, low scoring game. I, I'd put it twenty seventeen Seahawks uh, take it twenty seventeen Seahawks. You'd say that, um, and you know just other stuff. 
in Seattle's favor. They they're tenth overall in rushing, limit, limiting their opponent to 103 yards. That's really going to be the key here. I just I think that the receiving core on both sides isn't spectacular. So I don't think the re- the receivers are going to be you know are going to make or break the game. It's really the, who can run the ball better, who can dominate the time of possession. Both of them play that time of possession game. You know you saw you've seen a. Uh, Robert Griffin the third and that that Washington team really dominate the Giants in terms of time of possession in that in the second half of their game uh this season. So I, I really think that Seattle has the tools to win that time of possession game and thus win the game. I, I they do certainly have the tools to look at the Redskins at home. They started out three and four at home and then they go on that insane seven game winning streak, so then they win their next four at home. Uh, and then three on the road in that stretch. So, uh, you know, again, the Redskins, what they you are score, hot. Man? What, what you, what you, you, you got to right. wait, all right? You, you got to be patient here. You got to give me some time. This is this is how we do it here on the other side of the glass. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm looking at this matchup, and I can't see the Seahawks winning. Because what? RG3, R, RG3, first of all, the home teams in the playoffs, and I'll say this: I think on all the other matchups, they are four and zero last year. So the home team has certainly the advantage. RG three and a seven game winning streak bring the Redskins to a victory. I'm going to say it's also close, but I'm going to say a little, a little more high scoring. I'll say it's twenty four twenty in favor of the Redskins. I I I like, I just like the team that's hot. I mean, the team that's hot always always wins. They have won seven in a row. You can't deny that. They might not go to the Super Bowl, but I certainly can see them winning this game. I, I want to move. Did you have something you wanted to say that was very important? Quick X Factor. Who's your X Factor? My X Factor? I, I'd say it's Leon Washington, honestly. I'd, okay. I'd say because the, the return game could prove to be really really vital for the Seahawks, and, and they, could, they could ride that to some good field position. My exact same X guy for the exact same reason. Oh, come on. That, that's not fair. All right, let's move on here. Vikings and Packers. I think we've seen this matchup before, Julian. This is going to be a a, uh, a crazy one, in my opinion, because the look Lambeau Field incredibly hard to play at. You just saw the Vikings and Adrian Peterson take this team down. It's eight o'clock. Um, you know, Aaron Rodgers, world's better than Christian Ponder. Adrian Peterson, world's better than whoever they throw out there at running back. Uh, the Green Bay Packers, that is. I like the Vikings in this game because you look at Adrian Peterson. Wow. You look at Adrian Peterson. Uh, I, I, and I didn't say who, who I'm picking, but I said I like them. I, okay. I do. Okay. I really like their chances because Adrian Peterson, I have never seen a player on offense that is as truly taken over a game. I mean, it's hard to take over a football game uh if you're, you know, I guess a quarterback can do it late in a game when they're throwing all the time, but for a running back to do it is is unique, I think, because it's hard to get the ball that many times and gain that many yards and contribute to your offense in that big of a way. And his combination of speed and power, uh, I think, and again, I'm, it might be Christian Ponder that ultimately weighs down this team, even though he's played very well of late. Uh, it might be him that ultimately weighs down this team, but to see what Peterson's done and to see how he's truly impacted these games, that's going to be huge for the Vikings, and that's going to really give them a shot in this game. 
and I would not be surprised if they win. But uh, I'm going to throw a name out there for you. Uh, Charles Woodson. He's coming back for the Packers. B.J. Raji, he looked great against the Vikings, so that's going to make this one interesting. Um, Just looking at the numbers now, um, Packers are 11th in, in passing yards, in allowing uh, passing yards, and that's with Woodson kind of on and off. So uh, I agree with you there. Rajit, be very, very, very disruptive in the middle of the field. Um, one thing, you know, and I'll agree with you, one thing that's going for the Packers is that it's so hard to win back-to-back games against the same team. You've seen it. I've seen in, you know, playoff situations, one thing that just springs to my mind is the Jets and the Oakland Raiders in the 0-2 playoffs. It's just so hard to win games back-to-back, especially when you go to their place. And I think that's ultimately what's going to tip the favor in terms of the Green Bay Packers. Um, I love AP, nine yards short of the single-season rushing record. I think that the Packers will do enough on defense to where that doesn't matter. And they'll be able to score quickly on offense with Rodgers. And I think they're not going to be able to dominate. The the Vikings aren't going to be able to dominate stretches of that game like they were last week. And the Packers are just going to show them completely different looks on defense. So I think that will help them out. So I, I, I think uh, Packers take this. Um, 38-24. There it is from Adienza. I- you know what? I, I really want to pick the Packers because that's the safe pick, but I told you I like the Vikings, and uh, I'm going to have to take them. Now, and I, I, I have a bone to pick with Nick before we move on here, Nick Legerfo. Uh We have the order of the games here, and I just realized that they're in the most confusing order you could have possibly thought of because we just went with the Sunday. The Sunday, the Sunday game was the Seahawks-Redskins game, and then the Saturday game is the Vikings-Packers game. So just to let you guys know, it's so 8 o'clock tomorrow night. That is Vikings and Packers. And then uh, it's 4.30 start is the Seahawks and Redskins. And it was just the order of the NFC and AFC that was mixed up there because we went to Sunday to Saturday, and we'll do it. At, we'll go Saturday to Sunday with the AFC. Um, but but just to wrap up here, I, I do like the Vikings in this game, actually. This is going to be a bold prediction. Uh, but I want to say it is – I'm going to say – uh, thirty-one to, I'm gonna say thirty-one to twenty-eight. I'm gonna do that. So four touchdowns and then the field goal is gonna be the X factor with the player who's gonna be my X factor in this one. I might have to go with hmm, this is yeah you know, Christian Ponder. It's definitely gonna be my X factor because he he started out the season very well. In the middle of the season, didn't look too good. He's looked very good at the end of the season, and he's a guy who can run the ball. He's not afraid to run that ball, and he runs it pretty well. And if he can truly get those receivers into the game, Jerome Simpson uh, especially, he can also be a big, big threat for the Vikings on offense. Him and Peterson, I don't see the the Packers really having a chance to stop them. Quickly, my X factor is, I'm going to cheat here, I'm not going to say a player, I'm going to name a unit. Packers secondary, punter's done a great job all year of not turning the ball over. I think he does in this game. All right, well that that is a bold prediction there. The secondary of the Packers is going to be the X-Factor. Right, let's move on here, and let's talk about Texans and Bengals. That's the first game of the playoffs. It's on 4.30 tomorrow night, and 
Look, the Texans, the last time they were in these playoffs, they had a guy by the name of T.J. Yates playing quarterback at a <laughs> UNC, their, their backup quarterback. And that was last year. And he it will not be in, unfortunately, for these Texans. It'll be Matt Schaub, um, who hasn't thrown a, touch, a playoff pass in nine years. But nonetheless, the Texans, they looked like the number one team in the middle uh, or really later in this season. They fall to number three with some bad play down the stretch. You still got Arian Foster. You don't have your best defensive player. You got J.J. Watt, though. Defensive player of the year, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. And so I don't know if it's their, their best, but, um, you know, but, but Cushing certainly, uh, certainly missed. And then you got Andre Johnson. So that offensive unit is fantastic. That defense, that's another story. But, look, I I could see, like, I I certainly don't see the Texans going far because I think that Brady would light them up. I think that Manning would light them up. I even think that, you know, guys, uh, guys in the NFC, a lot of guys in the NFC would light up this defense. But Andy Dalton, to me, doesn't seem like he's ready to, maybe he's ready to win a playoff game, but... I, I don't know. I don't see it in this game because the Bengals, to me, they're just they're missing something. You know what I mean? They're, Green Ellis is he's, he's all right. I mean, he's not that great, but just there, there's something about this team. Maybe it was Benson. Maybe it, maybe I really think they should have kept Benson. But AJ Green, he's fantastic. Yep. Dalton, he's been good. But Geno Atkins on the defensive side, he's been good. I just I feel like there's just one piece missing. There's just one more star missing on the Bengals that would put this team over the top. Uh, I don't know if that's really the reason why I'm picking the Texans, but that's just something I see in this team. Um, the defense is certainly going to give Foster a tough time, and they'll also give Schaub a tough time, but I just think the talent outweighs that of the Bengals. I go Texans here, and uh, I think it's going to be 20... No, it's gonna, sorry, it's going to be 32... 17. I think it's I don't think it's going to be close. And and a lot of people are picking the Bengals here, so don't shy away from picking Cincinnati. I well, I wasn't going to pick Cincinnati for a lot of the reasons you stated. Um and and I think it just goes to underscore the fact that the Texans I think really want this game in terms and it's hard to say who wants a team more. Both franchises haven't had a lot of success, although the Bengals have been in the playoffs the three of the last four years, and the Texans have been in, were in the playoffs last year. Both franchises, I think, are searching for you know some kind of defining game here in the in this decade, and I think just that the Texans, as you know, as an expansion team, formerly an expansion team, you know. They really haven't had that signature win, and I think they're really looking for that. And I think Matt Schaub is looking for, I guess, some sort of redemption in terms of the fact that he's kind of stunk up the joint coming down the stretch. He's, oh, absolutely. He's not. They haven't looked good at all. And he's always, let, even though he has been named to some pro balls, he's always been left out of that conversation as, you know, your top quarterback, you know, top quarterbacks right. in the league. And I think that. Schaub is really going to look to make a statement game with Andre Johnson, and I don't think that the secondary of Cincinnati can keep up with Andre Johnson and uh, some of the other receivers on the Texans squad. I I, I don't know if they can either, but uh, it's certainly – I I mean, all these games are going to be good, 
uh, and I, I'm not saying that this team's not going to be good because I picked uh, a score that's kind of lopsided. I, I, I Look, and it's, it, this is tough to pick them, too, because yeah. out of the past, uh, there have been 28 teams to finish the season like they have, uh, the, the Texans losing 3 of 4, and out of those teams, only one team has won more than one game in the playoffs. So really, to say that this team is going to win is tough because yeah. history is not on their side. But I think that they're talented enough. I think they've been waiting long enough for a playoff run that they will at least win one game in the playoffs. I don't know about anything after that, but the Texans, I think they hang on. My X factor in this one, uh, it, it's a tough call. I'm going to have to go with Owen Daniels because the passing game is going to be vital. Uh, Matt Schaub is going to need to have a good game. And he might go, you know, Foster's going to have a good game. But, but look, he's not. He's, he's going to try to go to Johnson. Then he's going to try to go to Kevin Walter. I like Owen Daniels because he, again, the tight end always seems to be the factor in these types of games. He's led the team in receiving weeks, you know, early on in the season, three of the first five weeks. Um, I like him to have a good game. And the Texans are another one of these teams which really relies on time of possession and a la Arian Foster. So I think the Texans are going to pound the ball with Arian Foster. They'll be able to – I don't think he's going to have a phenomenal game numbers-wise, but I'll think he, I think he'll have a good enough game where the, it puts pressure on the Bengals' defense to bring another guy into the box, and that's when you see that Schaub shines, when that extra guy comes into the box and then he can go to his – uh, play action. He's one of the best play action quarterbacks in the league, and then he'll be able to find guys like you said, Owen Daniels. My X factor for this game, J.J. Watt, defensive right. player of the year. I think the key to beating Cincinnati on the defensive side is not letting A.J. Green dominate the game. The way you do that, make sure he doesn't catch it, and the way you do that is make sure you get to Andy Dalton. So I think J.J. Watt having a big game disrupting Andy Dalton I say the Texans take it. I'm going to say it's going to be a low-scoring game, uh, 24-17. All right, all right. So that's Julian's prediction. And now let's move on to Kenny Ducey's proclaimed game of the week. It's the Colts <laughs> and the Ravens, 1 o'clock on Sunday. Man, is this going to be a good one. Now, I'm rooting for the Colts here. And who? how, how can't you with the Chuck Strong, with those that, that whole story that, that's gone on in Indy, but... Let's get down to business here and and make put put all emotions aside and make a pick, and you'll get the matchup here. Andrew Luck certainly a better quarterback than Joe Flacco. Ray Rice, phenomenal on the ground, possibly the best offensive player in this matchup. It probably is. Um, you know, at wide receiver, again that whole passing game for the for the Colts has been. Um, has been remarkable, honestly, with what Luck has been able to do uh, with his receivers, with with a running back by committee, uh, you know, with Donald Brown going out. That has been great. But the Ravens' defense, ultimately, for me, is the, is the, the factor in this one. And Ray Lewis coming back, while I don't think Ray Lewis will make an impact that much on the field, just his, his leadership, his emotion, and, and I really... I really don't want to base a pick off of that, but I think that this matchup is so close that it's going to come down uh, to the leadership. And that sort of emotional drive 
from the Ravens. And look, that's not to say the Colts don't have Chuck Pagano, you know, and that um, drive to win a championship with him. They certainly do. And I really wanted to pick Indy for a long time, but just Lewis being back and Ray Rice, what he can do on the ground. Flacco has not looked that great. Uh, so I, I it, this is a tough one. I really don't. I, I'm going to save my prediction for later. Um, I'm going to. I want to see who you pick. And this is not to say that <laughs> that this is this is going to be based off of your selection. I just want to. I want some more time to think about this one. Um, I, I think you're you know hitting on the head again in terms of the Colts offense, seventh overall, 258 passing yards, uh, in the uh per game, and. I luck has you know just goes to show you what how important quarterback play is again in this league a team that was you know so bad last season having many of the same cast of characters come back and having luck pretty much turning this team around thanks to Bruce Arians you know another guy you know who's a hot name in the coaching uh, search for many teams they've really done a good job I think the key will be Joe Flacco and his play. Um, and one of the things that really motivates the Ravens is that they're also a team who's, you know, rich, a lot of the same returning players from last season and where they had that Billy Cundiff miss that's yeah. so painful. And uh, We were just, that close to the horrible. Yeah, exactly. And just so close. And to have it slip away like that, I think that really hurt – you know, that really burned inside of guys like Ray Lewis, Terrell Suggs, and the Ravens are really on a player level. And like you said, not discounting that Chuck, that the Colts aren't going to play for Chuck Pagano, but that the players on the Ravens have that experience, and that's going to be the factor. Playoff experience, playing in the big moment. Flacco's been in this dance, you know, a, you know, three times now, four times now. He's really kind of gone, taking his lumps, and I think this is just unfortunately for Andrew Luck he just doesn't he's gonna this is gonna be another game where you know he's gonna have a growing pains and on top of that the Colts are playing in Baltimore the city they left 29 years ago the rave that that stadium is gonna be loud if you don't think Baltimore hates the Colts (laughs) then you're living on another planet because everybody in Baltimore despises Despises, and as much as they despise the Colts, they love the Ravens more. It's going to be a great home atmosphere. That's why I'm taking the Baltimore Ravens, and I'm saying that this game is not going to be close. I'm going to wow. say Ravens 28. No, scratch that. Make it Ravens 31. Colts 19. All right, 31-19. Well, the level Darius Webb. The 17th best passing, uh, or excuse me, pass defense in the league are the Ravens. This is a quarterback league. This is Andrew Luck. He's a rookie, and he has brought the 11 and 5 Colts to the seventh best passing offense in the league. Uh, it's hard to pick against a Harbaugh. I I can't. I I rarely pick against Harbaugh's, but I have to pick against John in this one. I am going with the Indianapolis Colts to upset the Baltimore Ravens wow. in the game of the week. And it simply because it's a quarterback league, and Andrew Luck is going to have a phenomenal day through the year, in my opinion. Even I though he's really, a rookie quarterback, he's proved himself. 
in I your really, opinion? I really, he hasn't proven himself yet, but I think he's going to have a good day uh, through the air. And the Ravens' pass defense, not as great as it might seem, uh, nor their run defense, actually. Their run defense is 20th yeah. in the league. So it, it's certainly going to be a good one to watch. Both teams have a lot to play for. There's Ray Lewis, there's Chuck Pagano. But that's all. Oh, oh, go yeah, ahead. But rookie quarterback, Ed Reed. Rookie quarterback, Andrew Luck. Meet Ed Reed. That's all I'm going to say. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. We'll see if the youth prevails or if the veterans will continue to dominate. And again, it's going to be, it's going to come down to you said Flacco's your X guy, X factor. Mine's got to be luck. It's the quarterback. The quarterback matchup is going to win this game. All right. That's all the time we have. I think we kept you a little too long here on NFL Friday at WFUV, but that's okay because it's wild card weekend. We'll be, we'll be with, back with you. Uh, for the next round of the playoffs, the divisional round. Until then, for Nicola Jerfo behind the glass, Julian Adienza filling in for Mike Watts, who will be back in two weeks. This is Kenny Ducey. Please enjoy this week, and it's going to be a special one. This has been One on One's NFL Friday, only on WFUVsports.org. Join us next week as the guys take you around the NFL. We'll see you then.